Hello and welcome back to Pieces of Books. My name is Delima and I'm the host of the podcast. Hi, how are you all doing? It's been a month since my first episode. I still don't have a trailer for the podcast and figured that it's kind of awkward now to attach one between two already published episodes. I don't know. Maybe I would still make one or not putting up a trailer at all. Let's just see. Okay, so before I properly start this episode, don't forget to follow the podcast and like this episode. The previous one was up earlier. I talked about The Wind Up Bird Chronicle by Haruki Murakami. I'm also on Instagram at Peeps of Books. That's pieces, but the C replaced with V. So it's P-I-E-V-E-S of Books. Essentially, I was going to pick pieces of books, but the username was already taken. So took what I can get. Don't forget to drop by, <laughs> say hi, and follow. So, anyway, I'm back with the second episode. It took me a while to get here since I'm a one-woman production. I went on to write the script, record the audio, edit the audio, and upload it to be published. However, I must emphasize that this is exciting. It's a good change for my cloudy routines. I have to tell you that I have resigned from my last job, slowly coming to terms with the fact that I don't see eye to eye with it anymore. Let's just say I came to a point where I just have to move on. Shifting away from my personal story, how about the pandemic? Mm, how about it? We're getting near to the end of the first quarter of 2021. It's still here. It's still here. What is it doing here? Miss Rona, you have overstayed your welcome. Not that you're welcome anyway in the first place. What's happening? Guys, what's happening? It's bleak. From what I see, it's a gloomy future from here. <laughs> I'm just saying, right? And I have to admit, I'm starting to act with the it is what it is mentality. It is so hard to care about things that you know are useless to be so hopeful for. However, I must acknowledge that there are a lot of people that have been struggling since the start of this godforsaken situation. My heart goes out for them. I truly wanted this to be over with so that, well, it's kind of naive to say that I want everything to get back to normal again. Things were never going to be normal again, but I just want for people's condition to be better. You know, just things to get better for some peace. To fight the negativity, I'm staying positive by leaning back to something I still take pleasure in. Like this project, for example. I got to talk about books, which I love, and I also got to actually write a prolonged, improvised script for the podcast. It's what the idiom called killing two birds with one stone. Yeah. I love it when I get to be fully creative in my elements, like writing, reading, and talking like this, especially talking about books, things I treasure closely to myself. But there are also times when the creative juice refused to come out, and this will take days to cure. I think parts of the halt also came from my mundane routines as well, one of the reasons. I mean, I hate to point my fingers, but I do believe that the 9 to 5 job is sucking my soul slowly. <laughs> That's why I constantly need remedies. In this case, they came in forms of movies, books, articles, Twitter memes lately. Oh, I love them. It's the way that you'll never know why it was so hilarious. But then when you try to show them to the other people, it's not as hilarious as the first time. 
as you quickly understood it and then you went on to explain that to anybody else and it's not funny anymore. <laughs> I wanted to explain a Twitter post which I found so funny the other day but obviously it wouldn't be hilarious if I have to explain it here, you know what I mean? Speaking of movies, have you watched I Care A Lot on Netflix? It was a ride. Although I don't really like the ending but wow, it was amazing. Rosamund Pike played this confident character not more than 40 years old named Marla Grayson. She is a legal guardian for old age people deemed no longer capable of taking care of themselves by the government. So Marla was um, like a, the, the legal, the term legal guardian is exactly like you picture it to be. She's like a guardian angel or some sort picked by the government and went out of her way to help these helpless old people who are too old to take care of themselves. They were sent to a retirement house, but as they were sent there, Marla was sucking them dry off of their properties. We're talking about money, house, safe box, basically anything that she can take to pay for the services that care for them, but also for her own rate. She's like she's like a legal leech. If if it's explained like this, it sounds illegal, but she was actually following the rules but also taking advantage of loopholes in the system. Divine plotline, I love it. I don't want to say no more about it because I'm going to like spill out some spoilers and I don't want to be that person that spoiled something to people that haven't watched it. So yeah, divine plot, like I said, divine plotline, I love it. But they somehow decided to take the highway road in the end You'll, you'll understand if you watch it. So, but anyways, today we're straying a bit further from legal scams and powerful women characters. I'm bringing you a story about a family dynamics and secrets. Not in a way of Gossip Girl XOXO kind of secrets, but actually heartbreaking secrets. It's beauty, it's grace, it is Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ung. If you happen to have read this piece, you'll agree with me when I said that it's a heartbreaking story. The amount of things left unsaid and instance that wasn't supposed to happen. And also those types of clashes that made you look back and think hard to yourself. What happened? Or when did it start to go south? So here it goes. The summary at the back of the book. <clears throat> Lydia is dead, but they don't know this yet. So begins this exquisite novel about a Chinese-American family living in 1970s small-town Ohio. Lydia is the favorite child of Marilyn and James Lee, and her parents are determined that she will fulfill the dreams they were unable to pursue. But when Lydia's body is found in the local lake, the delicate balancing act that has been keeping the Lee family together is destroyed, tumbling them all into chaos. A profoundly moving story of secrets and longing, Everything I Never Told You is both a gripping page-turner and a sensitive family portrait about love, lies, and race. This is an enchanting summary. The first time I found the book, it was through Goodreads. The cover is very intriguing to me. Um, it has some sort of a deep turquoise mix with serene, deep blue ocean color palettes with a picture of a woman swimming in a straight line. I thought it was intriguing and kind of mysterious because of the color choices. Then I read the summary and got immediately hooked, went out of my way to search for it at a local bookstore, 
it was the day when I got a bonus and I bought tons of books and I remembered walking home with a huge smile on my face. Everything I Never Told You was actually Celestia Ung's debut novel. She also wrote another familiar title called Little Fires Everywhere, which had been adapted into a miniseries. Published in 2014, it seems that Everything I Never Told You is also undergoing a process of an adaptation towards television. According to Variety, Annapurna Television has won the rights to the story with plans to develop the novel into a limited series just like its sister. Everything I Never Told You is also named as New York Times Notable Book of 2014 and Amazon's First Best Book of 2014. It had also won the Massachusetts Book Award, the Asian Pacific American Award for Literature, and the ALA's Alex Award. It has been translated into over 30 languages. As mentioned earlier, Everything I Never Told You is set on a timeline of the end of 1970s towards the 1980s, telling the story of a Chinese-American family living in small-town Ohio in USA. This family consisted of five members. That includes James Lee, the father, his of Chinese descendant, second generation. Then there's the mother, Marilyn, a Caucasian woman who was born in America, and their three children, Nath, the eldest son, Lydia, the golden middle daughter, and Hannah, the youngest girl. Since it's like 40 to 50 years in the past when norms and society were still very much conventional, the book truly emphasized roles of each gender along with the traditional family dynamics. You know, father gets to work, mom stayed home tending the house and the children. There's also um, the topic of competitions that often, purposely or not, appeared between siblings. One we cannot simply miss out is also the relationship between parents and their kids. You know, parents having all the best expectations, hopes and dreams which they projected onto their children. And the children that somehow kind of reluctant to receive this this kind of expectations, you know, in a way that it's not like they were trying to rebel or something, but they wanted to try or do something else, something they want they truly wanted to do. Speaking of this type of relationships, I'm for me, I was growing up in an Asian household myself. I had an earlier assumption towards the story since it is half Asian, that there will be some great expectations involving the children's education and success. You know, Asian are so Asian parents specifically are so hard on their children. You know, they just wanted them to have straight A's all the time, good grades, good socialization, popular with friends, da 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 da. In this story, it is absolutely implemented that kind of expectations. It is absolutely implemented, especially with the favorite middle daughter, Lydia. Her mother wanted her to become a doctor. She believes in Lydia, that she's the smartest, most capable girl. About that relationship, by the way, it's not always necessarily true. That sort of relationship actually doesn't only happen among Asian households. It can happen in any household because every parent normally expect and hope for the best for their children. What makes them different is basically the parenting styles, I think. I don't know, I don't have any children on my own, but but if I do have one someday, I wouldn't want to force them to do something they don't want to pursue. When I mentioned that it doesn't happen only among Asian households, I was thinking about an example, although fictional, but you probably have watched Sex Education on Netflix. You remember one of the characters named Jackson Marchetti? 
He was conditioned by his mother to train in a very disciplined schedule on his path to become a professional swimming athlete. That led him to question what he actually really wants for himself besides swimming. So it's not always about grades. Sometimes the parents want their children to pursue one specific thing. However, the key word here is that the parents want their children to do it, not the children themselves. So I think it's not always essentially among Asian households only. I think that if you wanted to do a research on it, I think that I think some surprising results will be found in a variety of households among many races. Anyways, you'd probably experience this at one point yourself. You must have known or experienced the concept in which a family member, often either the mom or dad, projected their own aspiration, a goal or desire onto their children. For an example, it started with the story of their past when they used to do something but for some reasons had quit doing so and their lives weren't completely the same ever since. Or, and I quote, I used to want to do this, but for whatever reasons, I couldn't, so I was hoping if you might want to try it, end quote. It is a rare happening where the said children will be obliged or more than happy to carry that legacy on, but in most cases, not much are dealing with that nicely. In the end, we all have different aspirations, which means not all of the children want to do what their parents used to or haven't got the chance to do. However, many parents unfortunately couldn't deal with this fact, They think that they're setting their children to the right path, their path, when it's not necessarily true. And that is what exactly is going on in the story. I have to mention that this time, I'm going to try to get the episode spoiler-free, in case there are people who haven't read everything I never told you yet. So, diving in, I think it's wise to just brush on the surface of their problems, that there are so much important things that were left unsaid, hence the title. So we're going to start from the characters first. As mentioned previously, there are five of them. The father, James Lee, is of Chinese descendant who was born on American soil. James's father had come to California under a false name, pretending to be a son of a neighbor who had immigrated first to the USA. Immigration isn't something new, at least for the USA, because I believe people had been calling it the promising new land or the melting pot and any other terms the process helped coin There's a chance of starting over, making better fortunes and whatnot in the midst of this transition. However, I was doing a brief research over this due to a statement in the book, and I quote, America was a melting pot, but Congress, terrified that the molten mixture was becoming a shade too yellow, had banned all immigrants from China. Only the children in the states of those already in the states could enter, end quote. Apparently, this was based on the Naturalization Act of 1790. By virtue of the 14th Amendment, the Supreme Court in United States v. Wong Kim Ark, 1898, recognized U.S. birthright citizenship of an American-born child of Chinese parents who had a permanent domicile and residence in the United States, and who were there carrying on business, and were not employed in any diplomatic or official capacity under the Emperor of China. This explains the circumstances that James's father had to go through in order to obtain citizenship. Since James was born on an American soil, he was therefore American, or Chinese-American you could say, because his parents were both Chinese. The situation was difficult for the Asian in general, specifically Chinese, in this story. 
They were discriminated, to put it bluntly. The very place called Chinatowns, where they all gathered in solidarity, were filled with paper sons. The term that was used to describe these immigrants who entered the USA like James's father did. Everyone's name was false. They hoped not to be found or worse, sent back. However, these were not the case for James's parents because in 1938, James's father received a letter from a paper brother who had gone east looking for work post the Great Depression or around recession. He was suggesting James's father to work at a small boarding school in Iowa. Grounds work, maintenance mostly. There might also be a job for his wife in the school kitchen. The school was called Lloyd Academy and James would enter it later. His father would routinely send him to school in a truck, in a Ford truck that the school had lent him to use. The first morning James attended the school, a girl next to him sitting in a classroom asked, what's wrong with your eyes? And then in every other classes, other students began to observe him, where he came from, and since it's a boarding school, it's expected for the kids to live in. But that wasn't the case for James. Also, since, you know, because they, they were the same race, his father and James, and his father would be called in regularly to fix some things like light bulbs or like maintenance issue. During this process, the kids in the classroom would look at his father and then back at James as if confirming that, hey, are they father and son? You know, essentially they knew about James's father and then James would hide his face behind the books or something. It's so sad. Like I was mentioning before, the school is a boarding school and everyone was expected to live in the school. And I think that cost more fund, more money. And since James's family don't have that kind of money, he didn't get to live in the school. As a consequence of not living inside the school like any other student, he missed the chance to like socialize properly. He missed the chance to build up relationships, making friends and all. He was separated from everyone else because living closely to one another, meeting each other every day, and James had to go home and miss those time. It somehow pushed him away from everybody else. It makes him more excluded. So 12 years attending the school, James never felt like he belonged there. And whenever there's a family tree task, he looked at the other kids' project and checked out their cool family, you know, like the Rockefeller or something. They were important people because it's a boarding school. You know, it's a private school. People are, people have money to go there. And so he wouldn't want to expose his family because of the shame, because of the the insecurity of being different and scared of what people might say about his family or, or about him. So he wouldn't do the task. He would just simply accept zero instead of handing over the task. And yet after all of this, James still wanted to fit in because he just... He just wanted to be accepted. He just wanted to be a part of the club. So he studied the American culture closely by listening to the radio, reading comics, even learning the rules of board games in case the other kids would ask him to join. But no one ever did. So when he went to college, James was hoping things would be a little different. He went to Harvard for seven years, seven years at Harvard, four as an undergrad, three and counting as graduate, and yet nothing had changed. 
He eventually studied about the most archetypal American subject, which is about cowboys. And during all of that, he never he never really spoke about his family. Even found himself shifting in his seat still, as if at any moment someone might notice and ask him to leave. Now, as you can see, James is a character that wants to just be in, to just want to be accepted, like everybody else that was major majority was uh, white people. And he was very different from all of them, and he just wants he just wanted to be accepted and behave normally with them. From the way that he never told anybody about his parents, it can also be concluded that he was somehow ashamed of his descendant. Not to mention their their backgrounds as well, since his father was a maintenance labor and his mother was a kitchen lady. Not that it was something to be ashamed of, but because he was surrounded by rich white privileged people. And he was the only one different. I can't understand why he would be ashamed of his root, of the backgrounds of his parents. And it's sad to know that. And it's sad to tolerate that because he doesn't have to feel that way, you know. James wasn't exactly hyper aware about the fact that he was different either. At that part where the girl who sat next to him in a classroom asking what's wrong with his eyes. He didn't realize that it was a problem. He also didn't realize that he was supposed to feel offended by that up until the teacher reprimanded the girl by calling out her name in a firm tone. And then we have a character that's the opposite of wanting to fit in like James because she was already part of the system. Marilyn. However, Mar Marilyn is a woman. Therefore, there's another standard that bestowed upon her. Back in college in 1955, Marilyn had enrolled in introductory physics. To which her advisor posed her with a question, why do you want to take physics? And Marilyn answered him stating that she wanted to be a doctor. Plausible, very admirable, wanting to cure people and all. However, the response that she got was appalling since the advisor, who was described as a plump man with a tweed suit and a crimson bow tie, I imagine him very short and very boomer-like, <laughs> I figured. And he asked her again, not a nurse? which is very offensive, very degrading, and frankly set my temper ablaze just by reading it. I mean, the occupation doctor and nurse are equally important, and I think that it doesn't matter what is the gender. I think that men and women can all be doctors and nurses. And it's just, why? Okay, boomer. <laughs> Moving on. So when Marilyn attended the class, she found herself the only woman in a classroom of 15 men. Everyone was treating her like she couldn't do anything by herself, offering to do things in her position and wouldn't let her learn by herself. Marilyn decided that she had enough. She eventually took matters into her own hands, showing the man that she can do it just fine. She can do it by herself. She's a big girl. So obviously, the kind of woman like Marilyn in that time was rare. Her mother, Mrs. Walker, had told her daughter that she was indeed proud of her through hugging her tightly. She was like, I'm so proud of you. You have reached this far. You've chosen something that is somehow complex or difficult to learn. And it all vapored into thin air, as she said, and I quote, You know, you'll meet a lot of wonderful Harvard men. So basically, she was assuming that instead of truly pursuing education and further improving herself to become the best version of herself in the future without the helpless dependency to any person, her mother thought that she went to college to find a husband. Hmm. Mrs. Walker was a piece of work herself. 
Her idea of a solid woman is the one who tend the house and children and still meant to make a good appearance, cook delicious food, all graciously for her one and only husband. I mean, I don't disagree with this. There are truly some women that wanted to achieve this, to be a stay-at-home wife and, you know, devoted to be a trophy wife. It's a dream. It's also it's also a dream. There are women who dream about that. It's okay, and there are also women who want to achieve higher things for herself, wanted to be successful by herself and not be dependent on men. And it's okay too. But in Mrs. Walker's case, I can't conclude that from her sentence, you made a wonderful Harvard man, when her daughter wanted to pursue higher things for herself, she was like conditioning that her daughter would want the same things as her. And I'm not okay with that. I disagree with that because she projected things onto her daughter as if she was telling her that, oh, you'll meet a good man and you'll settle and then you'll never have to worry about higher education anymore. Marilyn had a different vision for her own life and she discouraged it. Furthermore, she was hoping that Marilyn too would continue what she had been doing all her life because these things, the house chores, looking pretty, they have a class for that. They called it home economics. Marilyn knew this, and she didn't want to be just like her mother. However, as much as Marilyn wanted to pursue her dreams and make it happen, Mrs. Walker's prediction was right, and she met a man. Eventually, she met a man. After all of that, who is James Lee himself? James was a like a lecturer in a class, so Marilyn enrolled in his class of, I don't know, like a, about cowboys or something. It was like a side class, side subjects and all. You know this type of classes that just doesn't have any correlation whatsoever that you majored in, but you just have to take it because it will influence your grades. You know, those kind of classes. She would later get married to him and had to let go of all of her dreams. It basically killed her inside. Loyal to the theme of the story, she couldn't really talk about it. She couldn't really tell anybody about it especially not her mom, because she wouldn't understand. And she never really told James the whole ordeal either. The union of these two completely different characters with completely different stories are filled with things that they assume to be better left unsaid, when in fact, that assumption is the very thing that would tear them apart, becoming a root of every single problem they would face for years to come and unfortunately affecting their three children. James never told Marilyn that his parents were working at the boarding school he used to go to as a maintenance worker and a kitchen lady, the financial situation that they had to face as a family of immigrants living day to day in an extreme frugal act. He also never told her about all the discrimination acts he had experienced throughout his whole life, how he longed to be accepted to be a part of the club and just, you know, chilling like everybody else, like any other kid in school. He also never told the more specific parts of his life, like when he stopped speaking Chinese to his parents altogether because he was afraid it would tin his accent while he was speaking English. James was described to always see himself as a scrawny outcast, feeding on scraps, reciting his lines and trying to pass. An imposter. He was afraid she would never see him any other way. Meanwhile, Marilyn had some things that she kept to herself as well. It's the way that she resented her current situation after getting married to James. 
She wanted anything but becoming the very figure of her mother, you know, a stay-at-home woman with kids and house chores. She wanted to be a doctor. She wanted great things for herself. She wanted to cure people. But she was granted, she was exactly granted the life that her mother wanted her to have. The house, her husband, the life, the current life that she has, and her three kids. At some point in the middle, she considered all of that as a hindrance that led to her big decision that set the tone in the family differently, never to be back to normal again. Both of these characters have one thing in common. They want their children to take the torch and run proudly to lit it up at the stage like those people did back in the Olympics. They did that, right? The carrying torch thing and parroting it, then lighting it up. I remember it like that. Yeah, basically carrying the legacy on. <laughs> For James, it is towards Nath. He wanted his son to not be like him. To be able to fit in and not be discriminated by his pupils. To be able to have a lot of friends and still excel in school as well. This also caused a strain between James and Nath because James was still strong in his decision on not sharing his burden to anybody, just like he decided it with Marilyn. Nath had a hard time understanding why his father wanted him to do what he wanted him to do because he didn't explain why he was so keen on Nath to not be like, closed up or like introverted or like you know he wanted his son to to make a lot of friends and Nath wasn't wasn't very like a social type of person in the story his father wanted him to be like a strong typical guy to be outspoken but he wasn't anything like that and at some point James was like so frustrated at him he just somehow vent to him like why aren't you this way why aren't you that way It was it was heartbreaking to read because Nath was confused because he just wanted to do things his own way and his father was never he felt that his father was never really proud of him because James wanted him to do certain things that he didn't get to do. So there's that and there's like a very heavy strain between the father and the son. For Marilyn it is towards Lydia. She believed that her daughter is gifted, essentially amazing child, a prodigy. Marilyn made her take all sorts of classes with advanced level as well, not considering what's her take on it. Lydia had to put up a front for her parents, making them believe that she's doing excellently and that she's also popular with her friends when she was anything but that. Before it was found out that Lydia was dead in a local lake, she was missing for a couple of days. She was stated missing by the police and the family tried some things to look out for her so the parents james and marilyn started to call her close friends for me it was really heartbreaking when i reached the part where they started calling her so-called friends and found out that they're not actually that close with lydia in fact none of them ever spoke to her that much lydia never really stood a chance to fight back i guess um, the wording to fight back quote to her parents to say that she was nothing like they're projecting her to or to simply say that she doesn't have any intention on learning difficult things and wanting to become a doctor. And then we have the youngest, Hannah. I also feel so sorry for her. She also never stood a chance in the whole family. Everybody was busy for themselves. James and Marilyn were busy projecting their desires and dreams onto the two older ones, too busy dotting and shaping them to the people they want them to be. Nath and Lydia were busy defending themselves. 
Lydia was busy putting up two lives, putting up front for their parents, and Nath was busy standing up for himself, trying to do what he want to do. And so Hannah, on the other end, was often unheard and uncared for. She didn't really have a voice or a say, and her mother's eyes were filled with only Lydia, essentially. I get that they're both emotionally constipated due to bottling up their problems until they can't, but come on, Hannah was simply invisible. When I first read this, tracing the paragraph in which Celeste Ung described how Lydia was found dead floating on a lake, I was thinking about some sort of a foul play, that someone was out to get her since she's brilliant and popular. But then the story unfolds itself and exposed the layers when it amazingly took twists and turns I wasn't expecting to find. I was thinking that the parents had some kind of impact some way, one or another. You know, maybe like they were forcing her towards the edge of her strength. She arrived to that point. She was like giving it up altogether. I thought it was, you know, some kind of a suicidal story. But that wasn't the case either. It's just simply a lot more heartbreaking than that. And when I tell you that a lot of factors played these events leading up to Lydia's unfortunate death, there really are. To this day, I still couldn't quite let go of the information and the turns of events in this book that I've obtained while reading. I felt for the children, like my heart truly, my heart truly goes out for them, even though they were fictional characters. And as much as I disliked James and Marilyn for behaving the way they did, I felt for them too. They were, in a way, suffering as well. It doesn't excuse their rigid emotions and how they handled things, but they were also pitiful. I think it's just simply the lack of communication because and trust. I mean trust, because James was James had this traumatic events of his life, the discrimination and the you know financial condition and all and he didn't trust Marilyn that much to be able to tell all about it to her on the other hand Marilyn was also having some secrets that she kept to herself too she she didn't know how to trust James with all this information because at the back of her mind she was always pressing the idea that she didn't want to end up like her mother But in the end, she ended up just like her mother, with children and house chores, and she resented all of that. She wanted to be great. She wanted big things for herself. And somehow, you know, I felt that she's always sure that she deserved those big things. And to not be able to get it and to be blocked by, in this sense, it's, I don't mean this in a harmful way, but in a sense, the children, the house, the husband, it's all like a hindrance to her. It's all blocking her way. And she was she was confused because she loves her family. She loves her husband. She loves her children. But at that condition, they were essentially blocking her. They were essentially blocking her dreams, stopping her from achieving it. And she resented all that much. She resented how she couldn't get her dreams and she also resented how she resented her family for that. You know what I mean? Now, if we're talking about the situation right now, it wouldn't make any difference, right? People can easily just juggle taking care of the household or or the house chores and pursuing education altogether. But this is still like 40 to 50 years ago, the book was talking about. So it's kind of impossible for women to 
to be able to focus on education and become really successful by her own while still tending to house chores and children. They were conditioned to like stay home and took care of all of that while the men went out there, took care of everything. By that time, it was kind of impossible for women to do that. Heck, even to this day, women still has to sacrifice some things. You know, it's either the family or the big things that she wanted for herself, right? It's a miracle if they can juggle both because it took a lot of time, it took a lot of commitment, and it's kind of hard in that time with that of condition, with that of stereotypes, and with those responsibilities as well. In Marilyn's case, she was also supported by a figure like her mother who has been conditioned to believe that women have to stay at home she grew up with that kind of point of view. It's going to be hard for her, I I think. For James, it was just heartbreaking. Trying to understand it from his point of view as well, to be able to trust someone and then trusting them with that kind of traumatic events in the past of his life and still scared of what the other person is going to say, you know? It is not guaranteed that Marilyn would be um, sympathizing with him but if they truly love each other, they will learn to understand and listen to each other. They they shouldn't have to keep secrets from each other, right? I think from those secrets keeping, it came down to their children as well. Their children were supposed to have like a fresh start. But all these unresolved issues from James and Marilyn themselves. So yeah, <laughs> overall, hands down, I think this is a book that was so capturing, mesmerizing in such a vulnerable way kind of gets you to reevaluate the way you communicate with your loved ones. You left thinking to yourself about how you behaved with your family members all this time. And by the way, a perfect time to evaluate those things as well now that we're home all the time. I just want you to read this and find out a beautiful story about about relationship dynamics, family dynamics, and how relationships are supposed to happen. You know, I'm not great at relationships myself, but after I read this, my eyes were like, I begin to see things differently. What I learned is that the the sayings that people have their own stories, it is very true indeed. You might You might think you know someone, even the closest to you, but they have things they didn't share. They won't tell you unless they really, really trust you. And it doesn't have to be only about romantic relationships. You can also find it in the family. How many relationships have you been in that you can that you feel like you can trust someone fully? I still don't find that kind of bond yet. But, you know, relationships are supposed to be studied, I think. We, we study about each other every day. And we wanted to know more. We wanted to be there for them in case they have problems. We wanted to be able to help them solving those problems. But we have to make sure that they have their space as well. You know what I mean? I got into deep thinking after reading this book. I think it's a very wonderful book. I would love if you, if after you're listening to this, maybe you have read it and you somehow forgot that um, what is the story in the middle of or like what kind of other dynamics that these characters are experiencing. Maybe you can give it another read. Or if you haven't read that, 
I suggest that you go read it. It's a very touching, a very personal, relatable book story. And Celeste Ung did a really great job. I think she's a phenomenal writer. I think that's all I have right now. I do hope to come back with the next episode faster than this. I can do it. All right. Hey, closing message. Once again, don't forget to like this episode and follow my podcast on Spotify. I'm also available at Instagram at Peeves of Books. And hey, if you have book recommendations or you just simply wanted to tell me what you think about everything I never told you or this the previous episode or this episode, you can always email me at delimasbookopinions at gmail.com. That's D-E-L-I-M-A-S bookopinions at gmail.com. And I will see you soon. Stay safe. Bye-bye.